You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Carrie Obedient with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it made me laugh, Carrie, when you do that. <laughs> I am joined here by my lovely, delightful, and beautifully attired um, colleague, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility <laughs> Center. Abby, please tell the folks at home what you're wearing. Well, I'm wearing um, Joanne Fabric t-shirt with my new Cricut design. I, we don't want to tell our producer, Brandy, but uh, I pulled the graphic design off our website, our Fertility Docs um, uncensored kind of logo with a woman and her lips and all that. And I pulled it off and I was able to use my Cricut to actually make it an iron-on transfer. So I now have a yellow t-shirt with our logo on it. So I there proudly display that probably display that today at the beginning of our broadcast. There you have it, folks. She's beautiful. She's beautifully attired. She's smart. She's talented. She has it all. We also have my ego up. We also have the lovely and enchanting fiery redhead of Dr. Susan Hudson of the Texas Fertility Center here gracing us with our presence. How are you, Susan? I am so good today. (laughs) (laughs) Any day that I get to sit here and chit chat with y'all, it just brightens my day. It really, it really does. does make for a that good is day. So sweet. It's it fun. does because I I'm usually not smiling this much when we when we're at the very beginning. Well, and, <laughs> and, and I'm usually, just like about to roll over. <laughs> and usually, you know, if you guys are like I am, I hardly ever see my partners in practice. We're so busy seeing our own patients that we don't get to talk to each other. So this is actually kind of like almost like kind of being on a little snippet of a girls' trip, kind of. You know, it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It is. We just need a little wine, maybe. <laughs> Hey, we could do a, you know, the, the drunk history, we could do drunk reproductive endocrinology. I don't know drunk history. (laughs) There's, um, I don't actually know it either. I don't know if it's a TV show or a YouTube show or something, but I've heard of it before. Therefore it must exist. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and the premise of it. Um, it's historians getting intoxicated and going through history <laughs> and telling the. Uh, Where do you come up with this stuff? I'm I've never heard of this before. It. I didn't. If I came up with that, I'm sure I would be a gazillionaire by now because I would have a hot TV show talking about think... the War of 1812 while <laughs> intoxicated. Our patients may not want to come see us if they think we're drinking after hours, you know, intoxicated. So that may not be good for business, Carrie. Our patients may want to come see us even more if they know we're drinking <laughs> after hours. Well, that's, that's okay. Yeah. That's... I didn't say during hours. We are after. all stone cold. We are good. So calculating machines during That's work. That's right. Yeah. Um, work hard so, and play hard. Yes. Well, I don't know. Maybe work hard and sleep hard uh, is more <laughs> my style. And, and we are broadcasting after hours now, so we really should have some wine. I mean, it's, you know, eight o'clock right now on the in, in central time here. So, you know, we really should have some wine. Well, I mean, Abby, your family is actually the one that's doing all the risky activity this week. Oh my gosh, I tell you, I, I am not much of a risk taker, although I will say, and I didn't tell you guys this earlier, but earlier this summer, 
I went to camp with my daughter as a, one of the leaders. And so I actually rappelled down a five foot or five story tower. Wait, I did wait, do five, that. There's five a difference between five feet and five stories. I was told it was five feet, but it was really, no, it was five stories, 60 feet actually. And so that really terrified me. And so I really was so proud of myself because I repelled down this, you know, like tower that you'd see like somebody from the military, you know, going down. So I felt really proud of myself until about, I don't know, a few weeks ago, my husband and my son, who's now 18, were talking about going skydiving. And they've talked about that periodically. And so I've always told them, I said, you know, just don't let me know because I'll worry about you. And I I just don't want to know. And so about four days ago, three days ago, I got a phone call as I was wrapping things up at work at about 6.30. And my husband said, well, we survived. Anyway, they ended up going skydiving. They jumped out of an airplane at 14,000 feet. And I, it it makes my heart stop just looking at the video of it. I cannot imagine actually doing that. The airplane wasn't on fire. (laughs) No. And there, uh, there are a lot of people in the airplane too. You know, I mean, not, you know, socially distanced, I should say, but I mean, there's like 10 or 15 other people that were doing it. I'm like, who in the world would do that? The other night, my husband and I and our oldest son were watching Air Force One. And I hadn't seen Air Force One in like, I don't know, 15, 20 years or something. Funny thing is, it's rated R and it really shouldn't be rated R because there's <laughs> PG-13 <laughs> things that are Different worse than standards. Air Force One. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was it was funny. We always use um, common sense media whenever we're trying to watch something old that we think is fine because you filter out stuff and it's like, hmm, mm-hmm. it didn't quite come across that way when I was that age. Mm-hmm. So, I, and as a parent, you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so we're watching Air Force One. And, Christmas vacation um, would be a great example of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's there's the scene where like, you know, they're jumping out of Air Force One with parachutes and stuff like this. And I, I, I turned to my son and I was like, you know, I, I, I never, never really desire to jump out of an airplane with a parachute, but I even more don't want to be in a situation where jumping out of an airplane in a parachute is the best of the two options. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I think I would be like a cat climbing up a curtain. If I if I was about to tandem jump with somebody, I think I'd be like trying to cling onto the plane and hold on. But, but it's one of those things it. like, I don't think I could go up in a plane and jump out. Now, if there was like an emergency and it was, it was literally like jump if out the of the airplane with a parachute. Fire, go, maybe. Like, I think in an emergency, I could do it. But like, I don't think I could do it as like, hey, it's on my bucket list. I need to do it type thing. It is, it is not on my bucket no. list at all. No. What about you, Carrie? Could you jump no. out of a plane? No. Why? Why? No. That, I've never that been parasailing. Silly. Have any of y'all been parasailing? No, but that my sounds son. like fun to me. <laughs> well, one of my best friends went parasailing. And after they finished, they were like, yeah, we should have like maybe thought about that one a little bit more too. Like, like it looks like one of those really fun things, theoretically not, you know, you're gliding over water, but you're going fast enough and high enough that, you know, yeah, and I tell you when they happened, 
when they were parachuting when they were parachuting down i said did it feel like you're going really fast and they were like oh yeah and apparently they were going around like around 130 miles an hour free falling basically until they opened the chute and then when the chute opened they shot way up i mean it like was like a big shot shoot up and then from that point on i think it was kind of a slow descend down but you know if you're free falling 130 miles an hour i'm that's just not fun so (laughs) that would terrify me I have a practical question and I don't necessarily need an answer to this because Abby, <laughs> this is your husband and your son. Yes. Um, but so you're parachuting and you've got all of the straps and harnesses on and all that stuff. And typically they've got the straps that are going to go around your legs, kind of under in between your legs. So if you're going 130 miles an hour and then that parachute goes out and you stop and you suddenly go up 10 miles an hour, that's going to pinch some important <laughs> That uh, Well, I hate to reveal too much about my husband, but that was exactly what the worst part of it was that. He said that was the absolute worst part of the whole parachuting experience for him. Otherwise, he had a great time and probably is going to do it again. But yeah, that was uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay. So on that note, as we're talking about ways to damage one's own genetic material, um, (laughs) let's talk about genetic testing that's available in fertility treatment. That that was a good lead in. I really like that. Awesome. Can we do our question of the day real quick though? Yes. Yes. Oh, Susan, you always keep us honest on that. She keeps us straight on that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Go ahead and read the question off. So currently the question is... Susan. The question is, in light of everything that's happening with COVID-19, are there any guidelines or ideas of what's a good idea, what's good to do, and what's not good to do? Don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, don't get it. Yeah, and you know, just the tricky thing is, I mean, you know, I tell my patients, there's no one that has gotten pregnant and carried a baby for nine months that had COVID-19 to start off with because it hadn't been around that long. And so the problem is we don't really know how it affects a pregnancy. And generally, if you get infected with something in the first trimester, that's the the most critical, most problems, most damage. And so I think right now, nobody really knows for sure. We don't have any evidence that it's teratogenic, but we don't really know that. Um, I think the most recent thing that's really come out, which kind of stands to reason, that you know, pregnant women don't have a lot of lung capacity, particularly when they're in the third trimester. And so just like the regular flu, if a pregnant woman gets it, she tends to have a lot more problems because she just can't take deep breaths. She just doesn't have good lung capacity. And we've really kind of seen that, I think, with some people in the United States and also with some of the patients in Wuhan that got it um, you know, several months ago in the third trimester. But I think it's also important to to realize that nowhere, because most of our listeners are are people who are probably struggling with infertility, that nowhere on the globe have they advised people not to get pregnant. So, you know, I know when, you know, especially the United States kind of shut down for mm, four to six weeks early on in the COVID-19, you know, a lot of people had to get their fertility treatments put on hold because, you know, facilities weren't allowed to be opened and different things like that. And, you know, there, there hasn't been a call for people to be, um, avoiding pregnancy, like what we saw a few years back when Zika virus was um, kind of on the rampage. And, and so, you know, it, it, it's scary. I mean, there's, there's 
everything about COVID-19 is scary to me. Um, Most importantly, what we don't know, as you were kind of alluding to. Um, But what we do know is, you know, uh, it's, it's, there's no rhyme or reason who it's going to affect badly. I'm pretty much telling everybody, get their flu vaccine, you know, avoid, avoid any of the respiratory anything because all of the respiratory diseases, like you said, hit pregnant women more, more than their non-pregnant counterparts. And, and I've been telling all my pregnant ladies, look, you're, even when they lift the quarantine uh, stipulations, you guys are the last to come out of quarantine, you know? Don't go visiting people. Be really cautious. Be very, very judicious about where you go and what you do because you don't really get second chances. And, you know, go to work, go to the grocery store, do what you need to do, but be very, be very cautious. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think at this point too, one of the things that is somewhat reassuring is we don't think there's great evidence support the fact that the that you know, there's any transmission between the mom and the baby through the placenta. Right now, we think that's probably okay, but I'm sure as the months go on, we'll find out more and more information about that, both from our country and other countries as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, right. now let's talk about genetics. Okay, so this is at least in part just a little bit of a tease because you know how we tease um, <laughs> for some of our our episodes coming up where we're working with some really talented smart just disgustingly smart um scientists who who work with our embryos who work with the genetic testing component of it and so starting to delve into that and first wanted to go through what type of genetic testing are we able to do and and get a little bit more familiar with those terms and what that is. So the, the other thing is they speak a completely different language than we do. You know, we speak, we do speak medical kind of, but they speak a different level of medical than we do. So we kind of joke that we need they, to kind of learn speak, some things. They speak sciencey medical. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. We exactly. talk people medical. <laughs> We're like slang medical. They teach, they're like much stricter medical. So we're going to try and break down some of the terms. Um, and we throw a lot of terms around when patients come to see us. And one of the terms, I'll just lead right into this, is PGT, or pre-implantation genetic testing. And it's hey, essentially what... Can we, can we back up for just a minute and do a quick review of high school biology? Okay, yeah, let's do so, that. So, Abby, what's a chromosome? A chromosome, if you remember back to high school biology, that X-shaped structure, it looks like a big X. That's a chromosome. And we all have 23 pairs of those chromosomes. The only thing that differs between men and women, women have two X chromosomes and men have an X and a Y. Okay. Susan, what's a gene? So the genes are the things that are in the chromosomes that kind of program them. So the way that I always explain it to patients is when we are testing chromosomes versus genes, and we're going to be talking a lot more about this in a few minutes, when I'm asking about chromosomes, I have two hands. When I'm looking at genes, I have 10 fingers. So the fingers are parts of the hands, but they're they're a component of it. Okay. And when you're looking at a baby, how much of their genetic material is coming from each parent. Half and half. Excellent. And what is DNA? 
DNA is the building block of the chromosome. It, it basically, if you take a bunch of DNA and wind it up and keep winding and winding, eventually it becomes a chromosome. Okay. And then before we get into the, the PGT, want to do a quick talk about what is panethnic carrier screening? Because that is something that we do on the parents before we get to the embryo stage. And so some of what we do there leads into what we do later. And equally as importantly, some of what we see there has absolutely nothing to do with what we can do later. So what Carrie was talking about, the pan-ethnic carrier screening. So the carrier word means you're a carrier of a gene. Okay. So what we're really looking at when we're looking at genes, we have but we're carriers genes. a lot of a lot of genes, though, right? We carry a lot of genes. Right. We have a lot of genes. So on these on these screening panels, they screen for generally um, they can screen for just a few genes, or they can screen for upwards of almost 300 genes. Okay. And most of these genes that they are taking a look at are what we call recessive genes. When we look at genes, we have dominant genes and we have recessive genes. Dominant genes, you only need one copy for you to end up with that particular disease. And those are generally not the things that we're testing for on these, on these tests. What we're looking for is recessive conditions, recessive genes, where you actually have to inherit one recessive copy or a bad copy from mom and a recessive copy from dad, put those two together and you can end up with a condition. So these are these are medical conditions that can hide in somebody's family tree for generations until the right person meets the right person. And most of these genes that we're testing for are for things that are cause severe disability of some sort, especially in babies, children, that, that type of thing. So Susan, a lot of times when I talk to patients about doing, and I call it expanded carrier screening, another term for it. Um, when I talk to patients about doing that, you know, the response I get probably, oh, maybe 70% of the time is, oh, we don't have a family history of that. So how do, how do you respond to that question? That's exactly the thing is that until the right person meets the right person, you're not going to have a family history. These things can stay hidden for generation to generation to generation, number one. Number two, quite honestly, beyond our parents and maybe our grandparents, most of us have no idea what the medical conditions were of our great-grandparents, extended family, etc. And also, as I was talking about, like these tend to be really kind of um, big deal um, types of diseases. A lot of these things 100 years ago, 150 years ago, would have resulted in stillbirth or infant mortality, which we would have just been like, oh, they had a baby that died at age two. And nobody would know that it was spina muscular atrophy or, or, or whatever the condition truly was that led to that child's death. It was, you know, unfortunately, you know, there were lots of things that led to, you know, infant and child mortality, you know, just a hundred years ago. All right. Well, and I always say too, it's kind of, I think Ancestry.com does a great job. So go ahead, Abby. So I was going to say Ancestry.com does a great job of essentially 
showing us that we all have, we really don't know what our family history is much past a generation or two. And so, you know, even if you don't think you carry something, there's just really no way that you know. And it, it it's really amazing to me how many people do carry an abnormal trait. I know I carry two abnormal traits. I actually found out that I have a recessive condition. Fortunately, it hasn't impacted me and probably won't, but it was it's just really amazing to me that we all carry some crazy genes that we didn't know we carried. And so it's only through testing that we can figure it out. And you know, a lot of times when we talk about doing genetic testing on embryos, we have to really know what we need to test before we can actually do it. So for example, if you carry a trait like cystic fibrosis, we have to really know that we're looking for that. We can't just we can't just screen all the embryos for that. We have to really know that we're looking for that. Um, so I think it's a great test and I think it's, it's really helpful for a lot of our patients. Another thing for people to keep in mind is just because you do the testing, we're going to be talking about things like PG, PGT, pre-implantation genetic testing. When we're talking about carrier screening though, just because you do the carrier screening doesn't mean you have to do IVF if you find out that you're both carriers. It's to give you information, to give you power and a voice. So if you know there's a 25% chance that you may have a child with cystic fibrosis or spina muscular atrophy or Smith-Limley opitz or what, whatever disease it is, you may need to make choices for you, you, your family, your child that you would not otherwise know that you need to make, and then you'd have to make them in a hasty way, like, oh my goodness, you know, everybody's life has amazingly changed when this baby comes into the world. And now not only do I have this big change, but now I have to think about all these other things. Whereas, okay, I've had time to prepare that I know I need to have a special pediatrician. I know I may need to decide on different ways. You know, I may have been planning on my child being taken care of by a nanny or being in daycare or whatever. And maybe this health implication may say we have to do one way or the other, something that I wasn't expecting. So it, it can give you information um, to make you prepared as well. So Well, and plus they say too that sometimes when people have a baby with something like spinal muscular atrophy or something like that, it's really hard to pinpoint what the problem is. And so a lot of times parents will go on a medical odyssey and it may take them, you know, a visit to six or eight different medical professionals. So what Abby was saying is she uh, cut out because I think her microphone decided it was going on vacation right at this instant. Um, <laughs> was, they'll, go on a, they'll go on a medical odyssey of going from doc to doc to doc to try and figure out what's going on because you can have one of these syndromes where you know, there's something with the gut, there's something with the brain, there's something with the muscle development, there's something with breathing. There's a little bit of something with a little bit of every system, but it's not concrete with everything. And so it takes much, much longer to get the diagnosis. Whereas if you have it ahead of time, then you can go straight to targeting how to make life better and more livable for everybody, not just the kiddo, but also the parents and all the caregivers as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's get into a little bit more of the description of PGT and what that is and what it can do and what it can't do and what the alphabet soup of PGT is. So Susan, what are the different, what are the, what's the basic premise of PGT? 
So the basic premise of PGT is that when we're doing IVF or in vitro fertilization, when we have embryos that get to an advanced stage called an expanded blastocyst, um, and that's generally a day five, six, or seven embryo, we can tell um, which part of the embryo is going to become the baby and which part of the embryo is going to become the placenta. And we can take a few of the cells that are going to become the placenta and send those cells to a lab and then we generally cryopreserve the embryo, send those cells to a lab to find out um, most commonly whether those embryos are chromosomally normal or not. And that is what we call PGTA. A is for aneuploidy, just a fancy word for abnormal, abnormal number of chromosomes. <laughs> and so um, that's what we see most commonly in, in, in um, the IVF field. Because we know that it, even when people are in their 20s, about half of the embryos they create are chromosomally abnormal. As women age and approach their you know, mid-40s, that number can get upwards of 90%. Okay. So... PGTA is really good at checking the total number of chromosomes. It mm -hmm. is not good at checking a specific gene like cystic fibrosis or spinal muscular atrophy or one of those really specific tiny little fingers compared to checking for the whole hand. Exactly. Exactly. And that is PGTM, where we're looking at the genes. Okay. So tell us about PGTM. So PGTM, it does take us a little bit more prep work when we know that we're looking for this. So first of all, you know, sometimes people are worried about us, um, like trying to create like this genetically perfect baby. Like it, it's just, it's, it's just not feasibly possible and we don't do something like that. We only go looking for these genes when we've done some carrier screening like we've talked about before or in a situation where perhaps a couple have already had a child that's affected and that's how they found out they were carriers. Um, and so what we can do is when we know that each parent is a carrier, um, there can get blood or saliva samples from each of the parents. And generally they want to get um, blood and saliva from um, siblings or parents of the intended parents. And essentially the lab um, creates what's called a probe. And this probe, when we send off those little cells, are used to help identify if that genetic mutation is present in the embryos. And if we have no copies of the recessive gene, if we have one copy or if we have two. And generally speaking, um, you know, as long as we have one or none, then those are going to give us embryos that are going to um, give us a good chance of, of having a baby that is not affected by that disease. Okay. And then the last type of PGT that we're looking at is PGTSR, which is structural rearrangements. And this, I actually think it's really cool um, <laughs> because when you're looking at 
a karyotype. And a karyotype is the, the arrangement of all the chromosomes. If you were to, you know, literally take a picture of them in all of their disorganized glory and then organize them and pair them up and label them from biggest down to littlest down to the sex chromosomes. And what happens with the structural rearrangements is that two of them stick together where they really shouldn't stick together. And so let's say um, one of the more common ones, like a Robertsonian translocation, that's where chromosome number 14 and chromosome number 21 hang out together and they're stuck together. And so- They did a little dance. (laughs) And they did a little dance. And so (laughs) sometimes you get lucky and it separates out so that even though they're stuck together, you still end up with the right amount of everything. But more often, what you see is that there is too much or too little genetic material. And that is particularly uh, scary in that particular translocation because chromosome 21, when you have too much of it, it's associated with Down syndrome. And so when we are looking at that type of rearrangement, you're looking to see, okay, do you have too much or too little of those specific chromosomes that are the ones in question? And those are most commonly, we, we find those when we're looking at couples who have recurrent pregnancy loss. Those are, those are the ones that are most likely to be found in that type of situation. All right. So let's try this again. Let's see if Abby's microphone wants to play with us anymore. Yeah, I just decided I wanted to, you know, go get some coffee and hang out for a while. Sorry to leave you guys to talk about genetics. You know, really, I just didn't know what you were talking about. So I thought I'd just take off. So hopefully my microphone will cooperate with me. It just kind of did its own thing there for a minute. So I missed some of the conversation. So you guys will have to fill me in. So really, it's actually perfect timing because you came back in just enough time to explain the very hardest thing to explain verbally without pictures. So can you tell us about mosaicism in the next like three minutes or so? Oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. Well, you know, I'm not a very smart person, but the way I sort of think about it is, you know, when we do genetic testing. Oh, I think Abby's microphone is just going to. No, she muted it. No, it muted. it muted itself. I didn't mute it. I think oh, the battery. You, you were doing so well. Yeah, no, hers keeps on muting. So, <laughs> Carrie, <laughs> you want to do oh. mosaicism in two minutes or less? Oh, man. Okay. So, mosaicism. Damn, Abby, your microphone. I, <laughs> we're going to mail you a new one. Um, so, mosaicism is where you have two different cell lines present. And so it means that some of the the cells that are there are totally normal or and some of the cells there may be, you know, for sake of example, have Down syndrome in there. Um, and that by itself is not necessarily a problem. It sounds weird to say that, but it really depends on what percent is abnormal and where. And so if you have just a, um, Abby is in the background threatening her microphone and it's really pretty amazing to watch. So if in the background of the, the cell, you have a little bit of abnormal, that's totally fine. However, if you have of a different cell line that is not normal, that is a bigger problem. And that's what mosaicism is. And that's what we have a harder time interpreting because the lower level mosaics we think are okay because we think the embryo can repair itself and 
and the ultimate baby will be fine. The higher levels, we're pretty sure, okay, those aren't okay because they're more abnormal than normal. It's those middle levels that we don't quite know what to do with. And if somebody has embryos that are mosaic, which, um, you know, now that all of our reporting does report mosaics, uh, our patients who are using PGT are, you know, there's a decent chance that they might see that on a report. There are different, um, some chromosomes are more okay to transfer as mosaics than other chromosomes. So, you know, that's something important for you to discuss with your doctor is if you do have mosaics, is it a high, is it a high mosaic? Is it a low mosaic? But almost more importantly is which chromosome is it involving? Um, That almost determines um, your path on whether or not it's a wise idea to try to transfer the mosaic um, or not, you know, it's going to help lead you down that path. I I can tell you that I have transferred some mosaics. I know not a lot of people have transferred mosaics, but I've had some people transfer mosaics and the children have ended up being happy, healthy little boys and girls out there. So, um, there, there is hope for some of those mosaics out there. And it's the knowingly versus not knowingly transferred them. We've all transferred them. It's (laughs) whether or not we have known we have transferred them. And that's where the difference is. So, all right. Well, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you ladies, as it always is, and talking about the things that we talk about all day. But um, it's much more fun just chatting about it with um, two friends here and having girls night in. Um, So to our audience, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more and be sure to subscribe, leave a message in iTunes, leave reviews, and we would love to hear from you. You can also visit fertilitydocsuncensored.com to schedule an appointment with any of us or submit questions that you have about your infertility situation. We promise to answer your questions anonymously on our Ask the Doc segment. And please don't hold back. We we really want to be there to help answer your questions. We'll see you soon. All right, Abby. Try and say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. Have a wonderful week. (laughs) 